0: Father, as we've just been praying and and singing, we pray that you would open our eyes as we look at your words. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to understand and to help us see what this means in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no one forgets their first car. Uh, this This is my first car. It's an actual picture of my car when I tried to sell it, um, uh, when I found the photo. It was a second-hand 1994 Vauxhall Astra classic. Uh, Not particularly special, but very special to me. Now, you would think the primary threat to a young driver of their first car is some kind of accident involving either another car or a stationary object, and certainly the insurance premiums are set with that in mind. But about nine months into owning this car, I noticed one day that the temperature gauge was moving beyond its normal mid-range position. Now, actually, when I took photos of the car, I took a picture of the dashboard. There you go. Top right, temperature gauge. The, 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 the arm on the gauge is meant to sort of stick to, to, in the middle of the gauge and not move once it's warmed up. That was, that's the idea. And then one day, it started to move. It started to just drift a little bit and no one had ever really said anything to me about temperature gauges so I shrugged my shoulders and I carried on and then one day I started the car and the car suddenly sounded like an old banger, kind of shaking and it turned out later I discovered that the engine was sort of misfiring where it does this kind of juddering thing and I called the AA and they came and had a look and they said the terrible words, it looks like you've blown a head gasket which, to cut a long story short, is a tiny cheap rubber washer buried deep in the engine that is very expensive to repair because of the time and expertise it takes to basically strip the entire engine down to get to the offending washer. So I had assumed that the biggest threat was going to come from out there on the road, from another driver, another car. It turns out, actually, after I took those photos, I was out driving, and a car came straight out in front of me, and I hit it. And that was the end of that car. I was okay. It was all fine. Um, but uh, it, that, that, is an, that is a threat you do need to be conscious of when driving um, a, a car, of course. But that's not the only threat. And it turned, out, it turned out I needed to be equally conscious of the threat from within and to know how to read the warning signs when they came, which of course was that initial almost imperceptible rise in temperature was a a key warning sign that I now know. If that happens, stop driving, do not drive anymore until you've worked out what the problem is. Now, why am I giving you maintenance tips for 1990s cars in an era when, uh, you know, we now got computers and connected apps and they tell you what the problem is and you don't need to worry about these things? Well, the the, the issue is this is a picture of the kind of thing that was going on for these very early Christians in Acts chapter 6. Acts 3 to 6 hang together as a a unit. There are two cycles of persecution, uh, a response of prayer, a divine deliverance, increased boldness and more preaching. And this happens twice through in Acts chapters 3 to 6. And if you ask those early Christians and also Luke's readers uh, reading this, what is the biggest problem facing you as a church... What do you think they'd say? They'd probably say, probably like us, they'd probably say, well, it's out there in the world. That's where the problems are. It's those who want to stop the church doing its mission. Those who want to prevent Christians from reaching out. And maybe we'd think the same today. Increasingly, we're seeing a culture that is hostile to what Christians think and believe. A culture that's more and more uncomfortable with the idea of absolute truth. Of Jesus as the only way to God the concept of sin and the need for rescue, of God getting to tell us what is best for us and how to live our lives. It often feels like that is the big problem, the conflict with what is out there. And it's true that those are things we need to think about. But Luke has included in these chapters um, two episodes which show very clearly that like with my car, You must also be very vigilant of things that could go wrong from within, not just outside. So a few weeks ago we saw it was the issue of money and honesty. We saw Ananias and Sapphira, if you were with us. And that was the climax of the first cycle of persecution and prayer and rescue and boldness to preach suddenly internal conflict and problem. But now we get the same thing again. And so Luke is wanting us to see, if you want to see the church grow... If you want the world to hear about Jesus, you know, and if you're thinking, you know, there's, there's a world out there that needs to hear about Jesus and we kind of think, what are we going to do and what are we going to, how are we going to respond to Ukraine and all that's going on there? Well, if you want to see the church and the gospel impact that world, Luke is saying to us, there are certain things you cannot ignore and you must not ignore within the church, It starts here because if you don't deal with these internal things you'll never reach the world that needs to hear about Jesus. So that's what we're thinking about this morning that's what we're seeing and we've got those four points you can see on the back of the notice sheets we're going to look at briefly four things to see first of all and we'll have them on the screen as well the problem of a growing church the problem of a growing church verse one I wonder if you'd ever consider that a growing church could, in one sense, be a problem rather than a good thing. You ever thought that? Verse 1 tells us that the number of disciples is increasing. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Great thing. But it goes on and we see the temperature dial, as it were, has just started to nudge upwards, upwards remember we've had a a couple of beautiful snapshots of the life of the early church in chapter 2 and chapter 4 and one of the things that was happening was genuine sacrificial care for those in need within the community but look what's happened as things have grown now there are so many needy widows among them and remember in particular this is kind of pre-welfare state So if you have no one to provide for you, and in in that culture, a widow would not be able to provide for herself, entirely reliant on the goodwill of others, and often living in complete poverty as a result. But look, they've got this kind of thing where they're caring for each other, but not everyone is receiving food. And in particular, there is a bit of a fault line between the Hellenistic, which means Greek, Jews, and the Hebraic Jews. Now, don't get confused. These are all Christians within the Christian community that has just begun a few chapters earlier we're at the day of Pentecost, and they've started to gather in this way and grow. But at this point, all the Christians who are coming together in that community are Jews. And one of the big things in Acts is to see how. The gospel then goes beyond the bounds of the Jewish community to reach those who are not Jews, but we haven't got there yet. But even still, within the family of God at this point, they're Jewish and they're Christians, they're trusting in Jesus from a Jewish background, but ethnically speaking, they're different types of Jew from different backgrounds. Okay? And so you can see there's a presenting issue of people getting left out, but actually there's a deeper issue here and you see it's not just about oh here's some people who aren't getting enough food the deeper issue actually is essentially some kind of racism if you think about it whether intentional or unintentional now we don't know how how this was happening we don't know what it involved we don't know if it was intended or just the way things happen but we know today how destructive it can be and sometimes tragically is when people are treated differently because of their ethnicity or because of the color of their skin or their nationality even within the church and can you see well it it appears to be the issue here is is undeliberate because it doesn't get addressed head-on as if you know stop Intentionally behaving like this, that's not what happens. So it's not that people are necessarily consciously overlooking these Greek Jewish widows, it's just that they've ended up being left out. We don't know why. Maybe there are cultural reasons, people from that culture more backward in coming forwards, or whatever it is, or the others kind of uh, just getting there first before, and then they've run out of food before they realize. But whatever it is, it's like that issue in my car. In in a fragile community, this relatively trivial issue, in one sense, has the potential to be deeply destructive to the unity of that community. And it's all because everything was going well. Can you see that? It's all because the community's been growing in number. And suddenly the apostles, who previously had been the ones directing what should happen to the provisions that came in and all that kind of thing, suddenly it was just too complicated for them to handle that on top of their leadership role of preaching and praying. So what do they do? That's what we're going to see next. But as we we just think about this problem, and we think about what the equivalent of that is today... I wonder if this rings any bells. If you're involved in any kind of business or or, or organisation, it is highly likely that you will have uh, have to have regular conversations and training about the issue of unconscious bias. And it's that sort of thing that's going on here, although it's interesting, isn't it? Increasingly, organisations are starting to realise just doing unconscious bias training actually sometimes has the opposite effect and actually increases discrimination in a company rather than solves the problem Now that tells you these are very complex issues but within a church we do need to be alert to this kind of issue that might see a particular type of person being left out simply because we just haven't thought through how what we do impacts different sorts of people so it could be about race and cultural background it could be about being married or single so Christians put a huge amount of emphasis on marriage, don't we? And that's partly because, you know, it's under attack in the wider culture in various different ways. But do we, in defending that, do we do that at the expense of celebrating singleness as much as marriage? Or do we imply that, you know, marriage is really the state that everyone should be in? I hope we don't. But that's a question. There could be other things as well a male female divide a young and old divide a UK international divide we want our unity and our identity to be in Christ and if it isn't that's a problem it may be little things on the surface but like the temperature gauge on the dashboard they can go on to become bigger deeper issues if we ignore them so the problem of a growing church back here in Acts chapter 6, they don't ignore, they engage and they address. What do they do? Well, we come secondly to the priority of a growing church. The priority of a growing church. In verses two to four, they set out a priority. And they set out, first of all, the apostles in responding to this, they set out a priority for them as apostles. It would not be right for us, they say that is the apostles, the leaders to neglect the ministry of the word of god in order to wait on tables now the ministry of the word is ministry that involves the bible so in our language today it's certainly sermons but it's also bible studies it's also one-to-one bible ministry the type of thing that we were just hearing before from corin and ed It's all of those things the ministry of the word in, in different forms and the point is, it's because of that kind of ministry that the church is growing in number in verse 1. It's because people are hearing the good news about Jesus through God's word that the church is growing. And so they say, look, actually, this has to be the priority, and it especially has to be the priority for those of us whose job it is to do that teaching. Otherwise, people are not going to hear about Jesus, and the church is not going to grow. Now, a couple of months ago, I got drawn into documentaries about Royal Navy submarines. I don't know if you've ever got drawn into that, I'm not sure why. For me it's, I mean a submarine would be a terrible idea. You know, the beds would be too short, the ceilings too low. I have no doubt. But the thing about submarines is there is more to a submarine than hunting the enemy. You know, that is their primary task, if you're talking about you know, Royal Navy submarines, to hunt the enemy undetected, but it takes a massive team of people to enable that to happen, not all of whom look like they're engaged directly in that primary task. So there's cooks and there's medics, and there's even administrators sitting there on a submarine underground and making stuff happen, under, not underground, not underground, under the sea. So take the cooks, for example, on a submarine. They don't steer the boat. It's a boat, a submarine, not a ship, you know that, it's important. I did learn that. They don't steer the boat, they don't operate the the sonar, they don't fire the torpedoes. But without the cooks, the whole thing is going to fall apart. The boat's priority is hunting the enemy, isn't it? But it takes a team of many different skills to make that happen. And it's the same with the church. We can go wrong on this in a number of ways, actually. We can go wrong when we get distracted from our primary task of prayer and the ministry of God's word. Churches are the only place in the world where people will hear the message about Jesus. So other people, generally, will help the homeless, they will feed the hungry, they will care for the environment. Only Christians will preach the gospel. so we need to remember that we need to think actually that that's why we need to keep that front and center it's striking that prayer as well is bracketed with that word ministry Um, when when they uh, say they want to give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word in verse four because as we often say this is all god's work and if we're not praying why do we expect anything to happen And that is especially the case with the ministry of the Word. Humanly speaking, it's just words. I mean, you're just just speaking words, and you're expecting the world to change because you're speaking words. Well, yes, because they're God's words that we're sharing with one another. And that is why we need to pray. Praying primarily that as we share God's Word, that God would work to do his work through his Word. That's what we're doing. And so you put all that together, it's absolutely right that the apostles say here, we must keep the main thing, the main thing. We must keep prayer and the ministry of the word at the heart, and particularly for them as apostles, that they must keep that as they lead God's people at the heart of what they're doing. But, keeping the main thing as the main thing meant... Others making something else their main thing. The feeding of widows. In order not to distract those whose primary task is preaching and teaching and prayer from that ministry. So we can go wrong when we get distracted from that or we lose confidence in that. And and sadly, you know, plenty of churches do go wrong in that way. But we can also go wrong in a different way. We can go wrong when we reduce all church activity. To simply sharing God's word. So, well, should we not serve refreshment? Should we not worry about our building falling down? Should we not have any kind of ministry to people in need inside the church or outside in the world? Should we imply that unless you're a Bible teacher, you are a second-class Christian? Sometimes this overflows into our attitude to work. You know, if you're not a church leader like me and you've got a, you know, you have a day job we sometimes imply that, again, unless you're spending your working hours doing Bible studies with your colleagues, you're not really being a faithful Christian. Now, of course, it's a good thing for, for Christians to share their faith, but it's a misunderstanding of passages like this to say that the only thing that all Christians should be doing is evangelism and Bible study. You know, and if you have to do secular work, we'll make sure it's just a cover for being a missionary. And part of this is simply understanding that the whole world is God's world. The workplace belongs to him and that means serving him there, therefore, by working for his glory in everything that we do. As a Christian teacher or doctor or waiter or actor or musician or management consultant, whatever it is, do it for him. Now there's a lot more you could say about that. But can you see the point? In in the second reading that we we heard, we we, we heard Paul, in in Romans chapter 12, describe the church as one body made up of many parts who all need each other. And it's only by preserving and protecting prayer and the ministry of the word in particular for some that the ministry of the whole church is enabled and protected too, and the needy can be cared for and the buildings don't fall down. Now I'm grateful that St John's has realised this and we've deliberately set up the governance of the church to make it clear that we are all involved at different levels in different ways. So we have trustees who take care of legal and financial and property things. And we have a, a buildings team who actually look after the building and make sure it doesn't fall down so that we can continue to meet here and enjoy being with each other in this place. We have a safeguarding officer. We have people who, are, who make sure that we're taking health and safety seriously so that we don't hurt each other, all that kind of thing. And do you know what? None of those people I've just mentioned is me. Because they have freed me and Corinne and David and, and others in the church as well to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And that takes us thirdly to the choosing of those who fulfill these other roles. The ministers of a growing church, verses 5 and 6, the ministers of a growing church. So once they established that there was this particular role that needed to be done to ensure that no one went hungry, you know, what could they have said then? They could have said, well, okay, um, you know this particular role. We'll just pay for the local restaurant to feed them. We'll outsource it to other people easy but they they didn't do that did they look at what they did they said this is a job caring for these widows in need this is a job that needs people who are qualified and what makes you qualified if you look through the verses is being full of faith and the holy spirit verse five but also back in verse three full of wisdom the people they choose therefore are christians and that's important because it will ensure that they get the vision and the priority and they'll get where they fit in the whole thing do you see so the the problem and it's not it's not that this can never happen but the problem with having people who don't trust in jesus and they were sort of clear about that who who don't trust in jesus serving in, in in practical ways um, and in, in um, ministries in the church is that they may not then understand where what they're doing fits now as I say I'm not saying that that can, can never happen but if we just say oh well this is a, a non you know a non-gospel job and therefore can be done by anybody well actually that, that can cause problems and that's what they are um, looking at here so um, think, about, think about the submarine again See, the submarine is not a restaurant, is it? That's not its primary task. It's not why it's there. But it does need excellent chefs and food in order to function. But can you see the problem? If you've got chefs on board, a submarine, you didn't really get that and thought the whole point of the thing was for, them to be, for, the, for the submarine to be as brilliant a restaurant as they could possibly make it then, you know, they'd say, well, forget that, that strange activity on the sonar that's coming up. You know, forget that. We've got steak and chips here, and it needs, to be, it needs to be served now in order for us to enjoy it at its peak before it starts to go cold. See, that's an example of people kind of not getting how their particular role fits into the larger whole. And to get that, that is where faith and trusting Jesus comes in. So you understand the whole point of my role, looking after the building, or serving the refreshments, is in order to serve the gospel ministry of the church. But then they also need wisdom. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit. They need wisdom. They need practical, organisational gifts to ensure no one goes hungry. They need the rights sort of the person, making sure that people get fed. And some people, like me, would probably find that quite hard. So God knows what he's doing, doesn't he, when he sets up churches like this. And he makes sure that the right people with the right gifts and the right abilities are able to focus on the right things as part of the whole. But just notice something else here. Just notice something else, and this is really important. The people that they choose are qualified. The people that they choose also have Greek names. Verse 5. Do you see that? Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, Nicholas. We never hear of... We hear of Stephen and Philip again. The rest of them we don't hear of. Why do they get named and listed? Because it's almost as if Luke intends us to notice that. Now, it's not impossible that some Hebrew Jews could have Greek-sounding names. And we know that from the 12 disciples. But it is still noticeable that all those names sound Greek. And that reflects where we began, because what was the problem? The Greek Jews feeling forgotten and left out. So what's the solution? Other Greek Jews are getting involved in leadership. And that is an important principle. It matters that leadership in the church reflects the breadth of the church in all its diversity. Do you see? And that isn't just being sort of woke or trendy or something. It is because the alternative is that not doing that means groups of people get ignored or sidelined or forgotten. And again, that's the temperature gauge just beginning to nudge up and the result potentially in the end is catastrophic disunity that harms the church's gospel witness in the world. So in a church like ours that is very international, but also has male and female, young and old, married and single, and everything else in between. We need to ensure everyone is involved in appropriate ways. People still need to be qualified for the roles that they have. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That is clear. But if we're looking to fill a role at any level in the church, the key thing is to just make sure that we don't just look for people like us, as it were, whatever that means in that context. And if we're considering whether we ourselves could serve, don't just assume that because you look around, you think, well, I'm a bit different from those people I see over there kind of serving in the children's groups or small group leaders or musicians or trustees or whatever it is, and therefore, because I'm a bit different from them, I don't think that's a role I could do. No, we, we need all types of people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and qualified, yes. but We need all types of people so don't feel don't feel that you have to wait either for someone to ask you. Now we, not all roles in the church are available all the time to anybody, and you know it's appropriate that we that we have ways of ensuring that people are qualified to do the roles in the church. But if you think you could get involved in any way, whether it's music or children's work or sound or buildings or finance or legal advice or anything that you think i could do this and this would help the overall mission of the church please make that known please make that known to me or corin one of the other staff members what is the result then very briefly as we close the fruit of a growing church finally the fruit of a growing church verse 7 the result is not verse 7 if you look so the problem was solved and everyone went home feeling very relieved it's not so the widows got fed people stopped complaining everyone was happy again turns out that although it was important to, to note that that was happening that was not the goal of the action that they took to kind of solve the problem so they could go back to normal. So, conclusion, verse 7, the word of God spread. So that's why they had to focus on this very practical problem with the potential for disaster, because it was the means by which the gospel was then enabled to spread, to continue spreading, as it's been doing so far in these chapters and then continues to do. Because by sorting that problem, they were acting as one family with one common task of seeing the gospel spread in the world with many means by which they contributed to that happening. So we want to look outwards as a church. We must look outwards. There's a huge mission field in London. There is a world in conflict and split by war. But crazy as it sounds, reaching this city and reaching that world cannot happen without a church being united around the task of gospel proclamation and ordering itself as it grows to ensure the main thing remains the main thing. So let's pray now for that to happen. Let me lead us in prayer. So the word of God spread. Father, as we reflect on our own church especially, help us to be aware of where those issues that could become deeper problems and threaten our disunity, where those things are happening. Help us to take responsibility together as a whole church family to identify these things, to address them with gospel-focused ways, to love one another as we do that. As we've been thinking over the, the last week, from last weekend, about our culture as a church, may this also shape us so that our focus is so that word ministry can happen and people can hear about jesus but in order to make that happen help us as a whole church to find our place as individuals to see how we can contribute to the whole in many different ways so that the word of god can continue to spread we pray in jesus name amen